The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, I'm excited for this morning. And um, I'd love to invite you to, fi- to find your Bibles with me. And uh, we are going to be in Psalm 16 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Open with me to Psalm 16. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one close to you. You can grab that one, follow along there. And uh, as always, if you're here, you don't own a Bible, um, we'd love to give you that one. So that one around you, grab it. Don't even tell us about it. Just take it with you. It would be our privilege to to give you that this morning. Um, Psalm 16. Now, there are so many places where we could look in Scripture to talk and to understand joy. It's all over. If you search for words like joy or rejoice, rejoicing, enjoy, the Bible is packed with joy. It is not one of those minor things. It's one of the major things. Um, Plus, of all the words that sum up Christmas, of all of the words, joy is absolutely at the top of that list. Joy to the world, joy, the Lord has come, joy. And one more thing, too, of all the words of Advent, so hope, peace, joy, and love, of all of these words, Joy is by far the most churchy of the words, by far, by far. In fact, people don't use joy most of the time unless you're talking with Christian people in Christian circles, singing a Christmas carol or it's about to be Christmas time. Um, that's really it, actually. Uh, that's it. This is, that's kind of what joy is. It's kind of the most churchy of the words. Um, and listen, I don't know what you came into this place expecting to, to work through, to talk through, to, to look at when, when you think of joy in this season. But what I do know is that our text, Psalm 16, we're going to be in verse 11. This scripture, this verse is so simple and straightforward, it cuts through a lot of the noise and clutter and gets directly to the very heart of Christian joy. And so here's the thing. This morning is going to be really simple, very simple. We're going to spend our time slowly picking apart and unpacking this this verse, one verse, Psalm 16, verse 11, Uh, taking our time with it and sitting in it. That's our morning this morning. Um, Now, at times, we will zoom out. We're going to look at other scriptures, but by and large, we're going to dig in here, and I believe God has something for us this morning in this this text. So let me read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get started digging, all right? Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. God, we praise you and we thank you for your arrival for Christ. For his coming into the world, 
that you created to save us, redeem us, set us free, to bring us hope and peace and joy and love. And this morning, as we examine your word, we ask that you would speak. Would you give us the ears that we would hear your voice? God, you are good. Would you speak? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Psalm 16 um, was written by King David. And uh, we actually, we don't know exactly when this was written. We don't know what was going on in, in his life when he wrote this. But as we look at the content of this psalm, let me tell you one thing we do know. It is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, this psalm. So first challenge of the morning, we're not going to do it here right now, but first challenge of the morning is sometime this week, I just encourage you to take Psalm 16 as a whole and just meditate on it, sit with it, pray it. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, but in our time this morning, we're going to hone in, like I said, on the final verse, the, the, the final couple lines where David just brings it home. Um, and as we look at this verse, there are three lines, most likely in your Bible. When you look at this verse, three lines, we're going to look at them uh, one by one. And I'd love to start with the first one. You ready? <laughs> nope. All right. Verse 11. <laughs> First line says this, you make known to me the path of life. You make known to me, you. I don't want us to rush past the, the you. Uh, it is important to understand, um, maybe you've never thought about this, but you, we would not know our God. We would not know about his goodness. We would not know about his plan. We would not know about his character. We would not know about his love, his hope, his peace, or his joy. We would not know that. We would not know him if he had not made it known to us through his word and through his world. We would not know him if he did not make himself known to us. This is when we talk about revelation, this is what it means. And I'm so thankful that God has given us this. I am so thankful that God has given us this, that we may know him. Um, I am grateful that God has not left us in the dark groping for secrets and trying to figure things out and make stuff up and imagine what we want to see. No, God has given us this. God has given us this and made himself known to us, revealed himself to us. Um, uh, Kevin DeYoung, he's a, he's a pastor and he is a writer, uh, loves a lot of his, his work. But there's a book that he wrote called Taking God at His Word. Fantastic little book. Um, in this book, he talks about this beautifully, and one of the things he does in this book is he gives us a, a, a quirky little example. Um, he talks about the elephant example. Have any of you ever heard of the elephant example? Probably not. Okay, a couple of us. Um, the elephant example. It's fairly common out there, but the example goes like this, that God is like an elephant. And uh, according to this, examples, this example, we are like humans that are blindfolded, and we are walking up to this elephant blindfolded. And um, what it amounts to is all of the world religions are kind of like different men, kind of blindfolded, 
describing what they are feeling as they grope for the elephant in front of them. And so to one, blindly walks up, grabs the tail and says, well, God is like a thin short rope. To another, grabs the ear, some kind of weird leathery blanket, I don't know. To, to another, grabs the trunk, it's like this huge strong tube. That's what God's like. To another, touches the body and it's like, man, God is like this wall, this leathery hard wall. And yet to another, grabs a tusk and thought, everyone else is crazy. I don't know what everyone else is thinking because God is, is this skinny pointy thing, right? Now, central um, to this example um, is, is that people claim, using this example, that we are all groping for the same thing, the same divine, same God, groping for it. And we're, we're trying to touch it, and that all roads lead to the same thing. We just might describe it differently. That's kind of core to this example. Um, if you've ever seen a coexist bumper sticker, this is the example for that bumper sticker. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the idea behind this. Here's what uh, Kevin DeYoung brings up, though, and I love this. I absolutely love this. Um, Kevin brings out this analogy, the whole thing, this whole elephant idea, all of it. It just absolutely falls apart. And do you know when it absolutely falls apart? The moment, if and when, the elephant speaks. That moment, it falls apart. The whole thing falls apart when the elephant says, I'm not a wall, I'm not a rope, I'm not a tooth, I'm not a tube, I'm an elephant whole analogy falls, falls apart. To bring this closer to home, the whole thing breaks down when God speaks and said, this is who I am. The whole thing breaks down because this is not my story, our thing. No, this is who he is, his story, his plan. And when we hold this, we're holding the word of God, the revelation of God. God saying here is who I am. Here is who I am. Your God spoke. And so in this psalm, David says, you make known to me. Our God speaks. He makes known to us. Thank God that he has made himself known to us. Thank God that he has revealed himself to us. Um, and, and David, here in this psalm, is going to push it even deeper. And this is going to sound weird. Please follow, just hang with me. Because our God not only revealed himself through his word, but he also revealed himself through his word. You hear that and you're like, what? let me show you what I mean. Can you go ahead and put that? the next one up there. Um, let me show you what I mean. So God revealed himself through his word, and God revealed himself through his word. Um, the first one, God revealed himself through his word, lowercase w, means this, scripture. God revealed himself through this. Um, God 
told us who he is in this, in the Bible. And God revealed himself through his word, capital W, uppercase W. This is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, who came to be human, the Word, the Christ, the Son of God. So, lowercase, Scripture, uppercase, Jesus. Easy way to think about that. God has revealed Himself through His Word and His Word, through His Scripture and through His Son. God has revealed Himself. So, come back, first line again of our psalm, Psalm 16, 11, first line. You make known to me the path of life. So it might look like, as we read this, that, that God, you just you, you make known how I should live. You tell me how to live. You, you tell me all the good things that I should do in the right path. But, but church, I would argue that that is but a taste of what this means. Small hint at what was coming. Better yet, who was coming. I'm drawn to the words that Jesus speaks in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, the life. We could add the path. And so let's read our psalm now in light of Jesus' words. Jesus is the path, the way. You have made known to me your word, your path, the way, Jesus you have revealed him to me. You have made known to us Jesus. This is what Advent is all about, church. All about. God, you have made Jesus known. Christ has come. Christ has come. You make known to me the path of life. We could talk about this a long time, but we have two lines more. So, Next two lines, I want to read them together because they deserve to be read together. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. These two lines are in parallel. They're in parallel together. This happens a lot, by the way, if you look through the Psalms, any Hebrew poetry loves parallelism. These two lines are in parallel. They're showing us something, making a point together. So in, the, in other words, these two statements, they drive us to one point, to see one thing, and, and, and the very same thing as we're going to see. So look what we see here. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. These are in parallel, leading to the same idea. So we have in your presence, fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Both of these lines tell us where and what. Did you see that? Both of these lines, they tell us where and they tell us what. So first the where, line one, in your presence, in the presence of God, line one. Line two, where? At God's right hand. That's saying the same thing. And, and let's talk about the what. So this is the where, the what. The what is in line one, fullness of joy. Line two, pleasures forevermore. Same thing. Parallelism. Saying the same thing. Getting us to see deeper what, um, 
what is to see here. This is parallelism. And from this, I want us to ask and answer four questions from these two lines. I'll be quick through them. The first question is, where does this joy come from? Well, we just talked about this, church. Um, joy has a source. It comes from God himself. The reason we sing joy to the world on Christmas is because God came to the world. Jesus came. Joy has a source. In our psalm, David says, in your presence and at your right hand. David is identifying the source of joy. Joy is not found apart from God himself. Even, even the joy we find in creation, even the joy we find on a good hike, even the joy we, we find when a baby is born, even the joy that we have when we drink a really good cup of coffee. Those are not in order, by the way. Just don't judge me. <laughs> Um, even those jo that joy, even that, we find joy in creation because it was given to us by our creator. Even in that. This is why we read in the Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of God. It means what has been created points to the fact it was created. More than that, points to who created. And it... And, and, the joy of creation just points us to our creator because joy has a source. It is God, the presence of God, the right hand of God, our psalm says. Question number two, then, is what is it? What is joy? I want to camp on this one because this is a really important question, and I think Christians sometimes, I'm not judging or anything like that, but I think this is where we can go squirrely. It's a technical term. <laughs> I've never used that from the pulpit. Um, where we can kind of go, go weird on, on this is when we think about what joy is. And, and I think we're, we're well-meaning when we do this, and I really mean this. Um, I think we mean well. Um, but when we think about joy, some of us can struggle a bit. And for some of us, our gut reaction, when I ask you, what is joy? You're going to tell me everything that is not happy. And what I mean by that is our gut reaction is to distinguish between happiness and joy. Joy and puny little happiness. We're going to want to, in our definition, make sure these things are so far apart. We understand joy is not happiness. We're going we're, we're gonna to go there and we're going we're gonna to say joy is not happy Happy is temporal, happy is circumstantial, but joy is eternal, and, and joy is not circumstantial, and there is absolute beauty and truth to that statement. There is absolutely truth to that, but I urge you to be careful. Be careful, because sometimes in our attempt to differentiate joy from happiness, we can overstate things, and we can make joy seem happyless. We can make joy seem like the farthest thing from happy. We can make joy seem like it, or we can make happiness joyless. That's not joy. No. Right? We can, in our attempt to protect it, separate it so much and do both of them damage. <laughs> um, we can make joy seem as though it's something completely different from pleasure. Joy is not pleasure. It's deeper than pleasure. It's deeper than happiness. When I don't believe that that is biblical, 
um, or helpful. And here's what I mean. Uh, I want to give you my favorite definition of joy. Um, I've used this before. It's not original to me. This is from John Piper. And I appreciate how simple and how biblical this definition of joy is. So can you show me, show, show the, the, the quote up here. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. That's awesome. Leave that up because as we walk through this, just so we can reference back to this. Christian joy, good feeling in the soul, produced by the Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Jesus in the word and in the world. So here in this psalm, David is using parallelism. He, is, he says, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. He links these two. He puts them in parallel. And I love this definition because Piper calls it a good feeling. It seems puny at first, but I love it. I love it. I think it's helpful, especially if you were raised, and let's just get real here, if you were raised in an environment that was kind of legalistic, joy has happiness, pleasure has no place in there, right? If you were raised in that, then, then this good feeling seems like, what are we talking about, Pastor? Like, what, what are we getting at? Um, <clears throat> we are not anti-pleasure as Christians. We are not anti-happiness as Christians. We are not anti-good feeling as Christians. It's just that in Christ, our pleasure is, it's just rightly directed. We're not anti-happy. It's just that in Christ, our happiness is just deeper than our circumstance. It's not that we're anti-pleasure. It's just that our ultimate pleasure is Jesus Christ. And, and I don't want you to misunderstand me because I'm not saying this in some prideful, religious, pious kind of hoity way, right? I'm not, I mean this. Like, joy is the good feeling in our soul when the Holy Spirit causes us to see the beauty of Jesus. That is joy, and it's deep, and it's real, and it's pleasure, and it's happy. It's all of those things. When the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and our eyes see deeper. Okay, I brought up coffee. I'm going to push it, push on it just a little more. Um, let's take coffee as an example. Um, what do you do? What should you do when you have a really, I mean really good cup of coffee? On the one hand, you could just take it, drink it, enjoy it, and move on. On the other hand, you could take it, you could drink it, enjoy it, and give thanks to my God for creating it, and be drawn to worship there in that moment as the steam rises from a good cup of coffee. To enjoy my God while I enjoy his good gift. You might hear this and think you are insane. Um, but to allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the beauty of Jesus in that moment. 
And again, some of you are thinking, you are insane. I'll pray for you. Um, but if coffee's not doing it for you, let me move to our, another one that'll even go deeper. Um, the birth of a baby. On the one hand, for any, first of all, for any parent in the room, um, when you hold your baby for the first time, I was terrified and yet so joyous. Real terrified, but joyous. So on the one hand, we could go through that moment, be overwhelmed, be happy, be joyful, and enjoy it, and then life kind of moves, right? On the other hand, we could go through that moment, be overwhelmed, be happy, be joyful, be j- and not to let it in there, but to be drawn to worship. To enjoy my God, the presence of my God, and the work of his hands, the giver of life. In the happiness of that moment, the the Spirit can open our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. It's deep. That is Christian joy. And as I bring these examples, um, I'm not... I'm not arguing for enjoying, just enjoying a good cup of coffee. I'm not arguing for or denying the joy, the happiness of a baby being born, even if you don't know Jesus. Even if you don't know Jesus, the fact that we, if you don't know Jesus, you can still have that same glorious cup of coffee and still hold a beautiful baby. That's just God's common grace to us. That is just his goodness to us, and we as humans, we get to experience these things because he is that good. He is that good. What I am saying, though, is that there is something deeper in every one of these moments. There is something deeper that we experience in Jesus when our joy is complete, When, when we have fullness of joy. That depth of joy is only experienced in Christ alone. When the Spirit opens our eyes, and when the coffee is good, but it points us to our good Savior, that's even better. When we experience pleasure in this life, but when that pleasure doesn't end here, but when it points us in greatest pleasure to Christ and his creation. And our pleasure is complete when we see Jesus. That joy, that's deep. Look at this, look at this, in light of that, look at this definition again. The good feeling in our soul, deep in our soul, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. Again, as David says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. More. Joy is Christ, the presence of Christ, seeing Christ. So then, question number three. I told you I was going to be a little longer on that one. I warned you. Uh, Question number three. Who can experience joy? Who can experience? In some sense, all of creation experiences some level of joy, because again, our God is good. 
Our God is good, and, and he does not give us what we deserve. This is why those who do not know Jesus, who do not trust in Jesus, those who have not responded to the gospel, this is why, as we just said, they can experience the joy of having a baby, the joy of good food, and the pleasure of life. This is why those who do not know Jesus can still love each other in their marriage. This is why they can see the joy of seeing your kids grow up. To some extent, that is joy. This is why those who do not even know Jesus are awestruck as they walk up to the Grand Canyon. That is God's goodness and grace on us, just giving us a taste of joy, a taste of joy. We can experience that because God is good. That is certainly true. But in another sense, I want to push on this. There is a depth of joy, a true joy, a fullness of joy that cannot be known apart from Jesus. It cannot be known. When Nehemiah says, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength, that strength, that depth, that fullness, it cannot be experienced apart from Jesus. And I think that one of the best examples of this is actually Christmas. Christmas. So, so this is a spectacular season, all of this expectation, all of this fun. Like, I love this season. My favorite. Um, all the fun. School's out, elf is on, you have trees, and you have lights, and you have the fun things, you have, it's happy, it's merry, it's joyous, and no matter who you are, whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you know Jesus or not, Christmas is awesome, like, you can experience that, you can, you can experience that, you can have a joyous season, but... There is something crazy about Christmas, and it happens every year, and it surprises us every year, and, and that is that it just kind of lets us down. And what I mean by that is, is as good as it goes, and it is good, as good as it goes, the presents get open, the lights get unplugged, the tree gets taken down, the PJs get put away. And no matter how good it goes, how good it was, there's always this, it's kind of a letdown, like when it's over. It's just, it's crazy, but it's done and life moves on and, and I don't want to be a downer. I really don't. Christmas is awesome, okay? I don't want to be a downer. But why is that? Why is there an inevitable letdown after Christmas is over? It's because all of that stuff, all of the celebrations, all of the decorations, the music, it's all great, it's all wonderful, it just only takes us so far. It doesn't take us quite far enough to satisfy that craving. It can't bear the weight that we're trying to put on it. In other words, the joy of the season, the joy of the festivities, decorations, traditions, music, all of that great stuff, but it leaves us wanting if it does not lead us to see the beauty of Jesus. It leaves us wanting 
Our world can experience the joy of the season they do every year. But apart from Christ, our world does not go deeper. Our world does allow the joy of the season to, 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 to enjoy it, but they, they don't allow the joy of the season to point them to the joy of Jesus. So our question was, who can experience joy? Praise God that our answer to this question is the world. The world. All the world can experience a measure of God's joy. But at the same time, our answer to this question must also be only only one who sees Jesus can experience the fullness of joy. Or going back to Piper's definition, Christian joy is the good feeling produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Jesus in the world. This is why the joy that we have in Christ in this season is so deep and so full because the Spirit's causing us to see the beauty of Jesus. It's beautiful. Question number four. One more question that I want to, and then we'll bring it all together. Question number four is how long is this joy going to last? And I want us to zoom in on the very last word of the last line of the last verse of this psalm. Pleasures, what, forevermore. Like, forever joy, forever. This is one of the things that sets joy and pleasure and happiness in Jesus apart from any kind of worldly pleasure that we can experience. Any kind of worldly joy or worldly happiness. See, worldly pleasures, they come and they go. They, joy is... Worldly understanding of joy is temporal. It is happiness is so fickle. Like it's so hard to get it. Because once you get it, you're not happy with it. It's fickle. And this is why we chase and we chase and we chase and we chase after it. And then we get it and it passes and we need to chase it more. No matter what you get for Christmas, there will always be that next present that your heart longs for. No matter how good the food might be, I promise you, you will be hungry again. Joy in Jesus is the only thing deeply and fully satisfying forever. It reminds me of Jesus' words to the woman at the well. If you remember in John 4, when, when Jesus says, everyone who drinks that water, they're gonna be thirsty again. But then he turns the corner and he says, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. And that water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Never be thirsty again. Forever satisfied. Pleasures forevermore. That's our promise. That is our promise. The joy in Christ is not only deep, and it's not only rich, and it's not only satisfying, but it is forever. You'll never need another. So let's take all of this now, all these lines and all the questions, and bring them, let's bring them together as we look at our psalm. Verse 11, you, my God, by your grace, your spirit, you make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the way. 
You make known to me the truth, the life, the path. You make known to me Jesus. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy, not just partial joy, temporal joy, circumstantial joy, worldly joy, but fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like true and lasting pleasure forever, the never get thirsty again kind. Forevermore. This is joy in Christ. We're in this season of Advent, and we've focused on hope and peace and joy and love next week. And um, at the same time, with every one of these, we've, always, we've, we've also brought out the already but not yet part of this. Like, um, with each of these things, there's an already but not yet thing. We saw this last week, for example, with peace, with shalom. And we talked last week about how you and I, we have perfect peace right now through Jesus Christ. Perfect shalom through Jesus Christ. He dwells in you. The prince of peace, the prince of shalom is here right now, already. And at the same time, we also know that perfect peace, perfect shalom is coming. There's the not yet part. That moment where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more war, conflict. When, when perfect peace is under ki the king of kings, when Jesus comes again. There's the not yet part. Church, the same is true for our joy. And I want us to think about this. Um, there is an already but not yet element to our joy in, in Christ. And here's what I mean. Today, right now, you and I, we can have and know perfect and complete joy. The inside out joy that is ours in and through Jesus Christ right now. We, you can know that because the fullness of joy is the presence of Christ and Christ dwells in us. Joy is here. Take that in. Joy is here already in and through Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. In this world, we know we're going to face trials. We're going to face pain. We're going to face stress and sickness and death. And yet, our joy is not tied to that. Our joy is not tied to our circumstances. And so we are able to have an inside-out joy in Jesus that is real and deep and true through any and every storm that we might face. And it's real. This is the already joy we have in Jesus. But that's not all, because there is also a not yet part to this. There's also a not yet part to this, because we look forward to that moment of perfect shalom, like we talked about last week. We look forward to that moment when all things are as they should be, and when the inside-out joy becomes joy both inside and out. It's just joy. When the joy we have always matches our circumstances because the circumstances are as they should be. Joy. Right now, already joy. We have this in Jesus. It's this inside-out joy that's not tied to circumstances. While the then, the not-yet joy that is ours, the joy that we look at in Advent this morning, 
when we look ahead to the return of Jesus, that joy is an all-encompassing, inside, outside, everywhere joy that's perfectly linked to our circumstances because everything is shalom. Joy. Already, but not yet. Inner joy becomes all over, all around, inside out, outside in, joy. This is our hope in joy. This is our hope in Jesus. And I've said this before, but it is absolutely incredible that I get the opportunity to tell such good news, to preach such good news every week of Advent. How cool is it that I get to do this, to tell you this? God is not just inviting you to come to him. He's not only calling you to come to himself. No, this Advent, we remember that God came to you. He did not wait for you to get your act together. To come to him. But he did what you could never do, and he came to you. And the invitation this morning is to respond in faith to the one who has come. The one who is here and the one who is coming again. Here's here's the promise. As we respond, when we respond, Scripture says that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And here's the best news I can possibly give you. Our God, he not only forgives you, he dwells in you. He is with you. He gives you himself. He gives you himself And he is hope. He is peace. He is joy. He is love. And the promise of God is not, hey, come to Jesus and you're going to get health and wealth and prosperity. No, the promise is so much better than that. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus came to you, gave you himself, and our call this morning is to respond because joy is here. And joy is coming. Thank you.